0: Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of the Articulate Fly. On this episode, I'm joined by guide and tire Ellis Wart. Ellis left corporate America to pursue his dream of being a full-time guide. He settled in Johnson City, Tennessee, and guides year-round in East Tennessee and its surrounding waters. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend, and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. And a shout out to this episode's sponsor. This episode's brought to you by our friends at Artisan Angler. If you're looking for a better way to organize your flies, tippet, and tools, you should check out the fly Trap at artisananglerllc.com. I've dropped the link in the show notes. They sell direct through Amazon, so you get prime shipping and free returns. It doesn't get any easier than that. Make your time on the water more productive and check out the fly Trap today. Now, on to our interview. Well, Ellis, welcome to the Articulate Fly.
1: Thank you for having me. Yeah,
0: I'm looking forward to our conversation, and we have a tradition on the Articulate Fly. We like to ask all of our guests to share their earliest fishing memory.
1: That would be up in Michigan, um, Torch Lake. It's outside of Traverse City, Um, fishing for smallmouth and perch and a couple other things. But my mom would take me out. Um, we still have the boat, this, this old Boston whaler. And I'd go with my, my cousin, who's a couple years younger. I I was, I don't know, six, seven. So he was he was a little, little squirt. And the nights get pretty cold. We went out pre-dawn, and um, we were heading out to the boat. And he was wrapped up in a blanket and just fell asleep, standing up and and tipped over into the lake um so i that that was that's maybe my earliest fishing story um but but a lot of a lot of good fishing memories up in uh, Michigan since before I can remember
0: yeah it's funny you say that I've actually fished torch for the Atlantic salmon really yeah
1: um down by the south end
0: yeah i don't i don't remember the name it was it was probably either the, under the bridge the clam or the bel air like up near the dam where they kind okay, of run up okay sure yeah
1: yeah that's kind of the 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 north end of of torch that whole area is just crazy fishy
0: yeah it's interesting i caught yeah. a few yeah i was up there i was fishing like gosh that's probably been 6 or 7 years ago with matt sapensky Okay. Yeah. So kind of interesting. So that was you, kind of your earliest fishing story. When did you come to the dark side of fly fishing?
1: Um, that that was a little more recent. And I um, think we're working with about seven years now, which I, I think for when, when people ask me about tying or, or fly fishing, um, I'm pretty quick to to qualify. The answer, maybe restate the question. And how many years ago, or how many hours on the water ago?
0: Just when did you start? How old were you?
1: Oh yes, uh,
0: twenty seven. Well, there you go. That's um, that's not that's not too late for fly fishing. Uh, how did you get into fly fishing?
1: No, not too late. My stepbrother took me to we were out visiting um sorry two stepbrothers and the the younger one who's slower than me was took me out to um, the tailwater below the San Juan Dam. And you know, for whatever reason, we were out visiting um his older brother my my oldest stepbrother. and for whatever reason man um i, I was in neoprene is the water is you know upper forties um it was march high desert um borrowed gear he didn't really know what he was doing, uh, specific to, you know, it's, it's a pretty pressured tailwater fishery and I don't know, something about it just ate me up. Uh, we, we didn't catch a fish. We didn't see a fish. We got, you know, broke, broke the reel that we had borrowed. I was freezing the whole time. We got, you know, thunder, sleep rolled in after two or three hours we'd driven two or three hours and um turned around and headed out and um that could speak volumes about my my appetite for punishment but um there was something that that got me going and and i think a, a big part of it was just a different Avenue or approach to fishing, uh, you know, in general. And it was going, getting back to DC, Northern Virginia. It didn't take too much Googling to, um, you know, figure out there was, you know, not just spots, but there was a bit of a community in. In DC, so um, things started to things started to pick up pretty quickly on on that front because you know you have the Potomac, which is pretty diverse fishery: stripers, smallmouth, largemouth, catfish. Um, 10, 15 minutes uh, from my house. And so between that and the trout streams that were, you know, hour, hour and a half, um, almost in every direction and then saltwater trips, um, it, it, it just, it really opened up. I wasn't fishing as hard. I, I was working too much and just, you know, on that young to mid twenties corporate grind in, in DC and, um. It just opened up, something new, something different.
0: Yeah, and so did you by chance get hooked up with the uh, Title Potomac Fly Riders?
1: Not directly. Um, I, I imagine that they either would have recognized me, or I recognized them. Um, I, I did. Stay pretty quiet there, you know, kind of, kind of stick to just fishing on my own, but I was down on, you know, I was at Fletcher's boat ramp, which, you know, they always do the, um, the fishing tournament down there. But during the shad run, man, I, you know, I, I would, well, also striper run, I would be out wade fishing at three or four in the morning before work. And then, you know, at at lunch, um, go out and get a rowboat and make, make that an extended lunch, but be there for a couple hours. So I I got to know a couple of those guys down at Fletcher's Cove pretty well.
0: And is that how you found your way to district angling?
1: No, that was, um, you know part of part of my style of i I think fishing tying um kind of finding something that interests me be a place or material pattern and kind of sort of going heads down so i was just i was totally taken by fly fishing and hadn't really thought of i don't know reaching out um Seeing what else was out there because there was already so much, and at this point, it was for me, wade fishing, stripers, and, and bass. Um, but getting into the you know, once I started to fish for trout, um. I was talking with a friend of mine, ended up being a roommate, and he, he had just gotten a, a starter kit and some flies, and I was tying at that point. And he was just showing them to me. Mentioned district dangling, and that was just after they had um, switched from urban, I should know the name, but I don't. Um, I, I didn't meet Richie and, and that crew until just after they became district angling, but yeah, that, um, that got me in there.
0: Yeah. I guess, what was it? Urban angler maybe? Yes. Yeah. Um, and so you were, you, you kind of briefly mentioned tying, you know, how long after you started fly fishing, did you get the tying bug? Oh
1: man, almost immediately. Um, I I, th- I think that at the, at the beginning and, and, you know, this was, um, again, the wave fishing for bass type deal, um, you know, woolly buggers and just muddlers and, and smaller type Bait fish, and then there's some, you know, some top water stuff. Um, but but really, I have pictures of some of the first, first flies. Um, it it wasn't, I don't think, until I started, probably my second year fishing. Um, I started seeing bait. When I was wade fishing in, in some of these little feeder creeks on the Potomac, up towards Great Falls, where all these fish are, are heading to, to do their business, I would see, you could look down at your feet and it looks like a live well in, in some of the slack water, um, some of the eddies that form between the feeder creeks and the larger Potomac. And it was just, I, I knew these big fish were in there. I caught a handful of decent stripers, you know, fishing and clowsers and whatever. But seeing all of these fish, um, th- that that put me sort of headlong into the streamer design. You know, tying tying flies with a very specific purpose to look or act in a certain way, and. Almost at the same time, um, I was starting to fish some of the spring creeks and limestones and, um, you know, trout fisheries of that nature that are pretty similar to the tailwaters I fish here. But consistent flows, temperatures, um, clarity, all that stuff. And... You know, relatively small and, and the name of the game there, as I was told at that time, um, is the you know the small bug game. so I was kind of simultaneously getting into I mean, it, it, it was it was another example of there's so much stuff for me to be able to focus on and And explore um so so getting into to tying both the the bait fish shad herring type stuff and um you know size size 20s and 22s basically is the the first handful of patterns
0: yeah really neat and i know you fish gear too and you know most of the guys that i talk to that tie and fish gear kind of bring that gear experience to their tying is that the same for you yeah, um,
1: it it is. Yeah, I, I've been fishing gear throwing Rapala's for small. Like that's what we did up in Michigan and um, spinners and crankbaits and um, Ohio where I grew up. It to 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 think that. A fly or, or fishing a fly could could give you insight into what's going on in a river system. Is just it's selling the river short. It's it's selling the water, the fish short. Um, the the ability to I, I I don't know. I can talk about fly design or fishing approach. Absolutely. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll start with fly design. Um, you look at you look at some of these lures, and I'll, I'll, I'm just going to use the um, Rapala shallow runner. I always called it the square bell, the shallow runner. No rattle. Um, it, it's got this funny little square bill coming off of it and it, it just, it runs so true in the water. It's said another way, you, you can dip your rod tip in and burn that thing back as fast as your reel will go and it will not spin or come out of the water. It just it's moving and I've, I've caught big fit browns and stripers big fish on you know the size five and seven you know pretty small lures and you know that that's two things come to mind on that which is castability so for for fly design and you know great if you have something that moves awesome or looks sweet um it doesn't mean anything unless you can get it to where it needs to go same with gear fishing you know that's i think something that people might not fully appreciate is that yeah you can get more bites fishing gear for sure um it's easier you can cover more water all that when you're fishing for the same type of fish or fishing in the same way that we do with streamers you know you're you're really sight fishing you're you're approaching the river with intention and thought on every single cast and when you do that with gear you're you're just simply able to do it more often to to get it in there faster um and then retrieve it faster and you know the the gear ratio on spinning bait casters, it's just, it's its two-hand retrieving on steroids. You know, for people that don't fish gear, it it, it, it shows you, I have people, you know, clients on my boat where I'm just saying, hey, faster, 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 and a couple casts in the day, I'm taking the run saying, this is what I mean by faster, and they're just saying that, you know, it just, it doesn't make any sense to them until they see what it does. You can't, you cannot move it fast enough. Um, our, our hands just don't work even on a spinning reel. You, our hands don't work fast enough to emulate the speed of a fleeing bait fish. Um, so when the bite's on that just triggers, if you get it to where it needs to go and you start moving it quickly, um, it it can do some pretty outrageous things, um, and it doesn't need to be anything crazy big. So uh, on the other side of that is some of these giant, you know, the newer, I'll call them bass lures, and, I, you know, I, I fish soft plastics and do a, a variety of different, I'll call them experimentations and you know approaches to to fishing for you know, trout, smallmouth, stripers. Um, but I'm somewhat partial to the to the jerk baits just because they're so fun to fish. Um, some of these bass ones, like the Vision One Tens, and um, you know a a few. If you just go through the um dicks, whatever your local sporting goods is or your independent bait and tackle shop and look at some of these. They're the the holographic flash, the noise. When I have a, a rod rigged up in my car, every time I go around a turn, I can hear that lure. Um it, it's not a little rattle that you put on the back of a fly. It's it's the whole the whole thing is a chamber. And I'm also talking five plus inch, you know, um, hard baits versus the, that Rapala is probably the one I was talking about before is probably about two inches, maybe two and a half. Um, so these are big lures and they're so loud in their presentation. And, I'm fishing, largely speaking, floating. So they're not getting down deep. You know, we're not, we're not dredging or, or fishing weedless soft plastics, which, again, I will do, but um, th- that type of fishing and, and those types of lures and what I've seen that do, again, to to th- to think that a fly can I don't know scratch those itches that that some of that gear does for these fish um is I don't want to say wrong but it, it probably is wrong and so for me both the the fishing approach um using those two examples kind of the opposite ends of the spectrum you know you can't go wrong. as long As long as you're, I know this sounds so cliche, but as long as you're fishing hard, fishing with intention, um, making your cast, trying to stay out of trees, but getting it into those those good spots. If it's a five inch floating jerkbait, um, little soft plastic, you know, on, on the burn giving giving giant these giant sweeps and and getting that thing rattling shaking and then just stopping giving it a big kill doing it again stopping um same with the same exact principles with tying and with with fishing flies um If if someone is approaching the water, if they're fishing with confidence and with that with that energy and with that thought, and and they're making the cast and they're you know they're working the retrieves and changing changing it up, I, I'm really hard pressed to say that there's yeah there's going to be certain actions or streamers that are are better on some days than others, but it's really it's angler preference. And so I, I know I'm going all over the place here, but um, the, the gear fishing is just, it's another one. It's another Avenue to explore, which I love Two, it, it's just a testament to there's no right answer. And You know, even in gear, there's no right answer. But within that gear to be fishing, you know, some of these lures that are just so different. um, It, you know, it just, it just points to that, to that style, uh, your approach on the water. And if, if you're into whatever it is that you're fishing, I, I guarantee you that's going to be what ends up yielding fish.
0: Yeah. it. and you know, to fast forward a little bit, you, you know, you started tying, but you know, now you tie commercially and I think you, you know, while you tie the small stuff, you really are kind of known for tying kind of bigger streamer patterns. You know, what's your design philosophy, uh, for your larger patterns?
1: Yeah. I do tie a lot of little bugs. Um, but yeah, the, the streamer game is, again, there's, there's just so much more in there, mechanically speaking. I'm going to try to stay on the rails with this one. Um, largely speaking, I would say that my design philosophy relies on action and profile. Pretty close to those two things are castability and I, um, I don't know variation. I'll, I'll say to fill out the fly box. So I want to have I want to have flies that are pretty big for. You know the anglers that want to fish those, and I like fishing them too. You know, there's uh, Blaine stuff, just just ridiculous. Um, You know, five to seven inch changers, and you know, to to some of my deer hair stuff and my swim bug fly. getting getting flies that you can get you know tying streamers that you can and and this goes for smallies and and musky as well getting having a fly that you can make do different things and this is something that i had borrowed heavily from from blaine and from tommy lynch um with the drunken disorderly but Having a fly that you can swim in in a number of different ways, and and having that be able to yield different kills, different swims, um, I I like to find ways to to have one, you know, one streamer, one fly that that you can do multiple things with.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's kind of interesting, too, because you kind of go down this streamer path, and, you know, next thing you know, right, you're selling, uh, selling bucktails. How did you get into the tying material game? Oh, my gosh.
1: Um, I think I can blame Richie. I was at, I was at Lefty Cray's Tie Fest a number of years ago, and, and I met the guy who, um, you know, this, my, my friend Eddy's on Instagram is VA muddler, great tire. Um, he, he come over to me and said, you, you gotta check this out and show me this mint colored bucktail, like a pastel Easter green type deal. And I was like, oh man, gotta go, gotta go see this guy. And there was this, there was this dude, tire who dyed his own bucktail and we got to talking and, you know, fast forward a year. Uh wait, check that fast forward two years I think i was i was in I was here I was in Johnson City, and um, he was just gonna gonna do some other stuff in life, and he knew how much I loved tying and that I was just kicking off this new gig lifestyle whatever you want to call it and basically offered for me to take over um it, it's called flyzotics and I, I really haven't changed anything about that um just offered for me to take that over and you know gave me a tip or two and some sources um for materials even though at this point I'm i'm getting most of my Bucktail from um, a couple butcher shops around here, um, but yeah, him him sort of hanging that off to me got me got me into the the bucktail processing is such a nice euphemism. Um, it can get pretty gnarly, but that that got me into the the bucktail game and then just the the i mean the clientele the the network his the followers he had whatever you want to call them um on flyzotics are just so uh, i mean most of them are striper guys a lot a lot of musky guys now but um so many of them fish gear and they just they're constantly um the you know feedback's largely positive and um they're also asking about different things and you know NIAT, yak um fox body hair belly hair and and so they're they're kind of always the i guess the source of inspiration for me to keep looking at what else is out there
0: yeah And, and i know too like people have different um kind of qualities they want when they tie, but kind of for what you do and what your customers tie, you know, what's the, what makes the perfect Bucktail? Oh, man.
1: This should be some video footage of me looking at two Bucktails, trying to decide which one to send a guy based on his request. So for the There's a couple different categories. I I think one of them is the the beast fly type category, and within that is what people want or think they want, and then what is actually reasonable. Um, You don't you don't need six inch fiber. A six inch tail, a tail with stuffed with six inch fibers looks. Alien compared to what people are normal, you know, normally exposed to. Um, so to to get to get fibers that have, and I, I'm going to quote so many of the notes on these orders that I get, uh, slight crinkle is I think my favorite term, um, and that I, I think encapsulates the. The perfect bucktail. So it, there is. It's not super wavy. If you look at it, you know, from from butt to tip, it's straight. Um, but it but it's crinkly, and there's a little bit, you know, towards the butt. There's there's some hollow components to it, um, and then you, you can feel. I guess after you know thousands in my hands, I I can feel the compressibility of this stuff um and and some of it's just dense and it doesn't matter if it's super wispy um or kind of bulky but that little bit of crinkle just it adds so much movement in the water because that water is traveling over all of that you know all, all of those different little crinkles um and and it also just looks nice and feels nice to tie with which at the end of the day since none of this is really required to catch fish um the looks nice and feels nice to tie with is is a pretty significant component I i think of what makes a material perfect or good or as good as it can be. Yeah. Got it. Um, yeah. I was just going to say for some, you know, then, then for some of the musky stuff, getting the, the stouter, little shorter, um, call them changer tails, three to four inches. You can really, um, don't have to feel like you're cutting out material and you, you can, you can make some pretty extraordinary flies with, three
0: and a half, four inch fibers. And he, and so it's interesting too, you know, we haven't even gotten to your guide service yet. And I was really kind of curious, you know, cause you started, you know, fly fishing in your late twenties. Um, you yeah. know, when did you get the guide bug and kind of how did you break into the guide game?
1: It's hard to say I got the guide bug until after I had moved to Johnson city and got a boat and plan to guide because without doing it, it's, I would think it would be very difficult to say, I love this. So it, you know, it wasn't until being here and, and fishing here and, and taking people out that I could not get enough of doing that. And, and And it you know surpasses fishing tying um there's no way I could have known that, so def, definitely a big gamble, but i had i had been fishing so much before moving here that you know taking when I would go out with um my stepbrother will you know I, I fished with my mom a whole lot um I'm not fishing. You know, I I wanted, I would, I would go out and I would fish so much on my own that when I went out with them, I wanted them to catch fish. And, you know, I I think that, um, you know, definitely a gamble, but I I knew I liked, I liked fishing with people. I liked putting people on fish and I, I fish enough on my own that it wasn't like, um, you know, they, all it was doing was adding, and before guiding, just while while working in D.C. that When I went out with others and was helping them fish, all it was doing was adding to my own experience. And so I, I thought there was a an opportunity um, to make that happen. I knew I didn't want to tie commercially and this is, we'll probably have to sidestep a a few background questions since we'll be on the phone till tomorrow. Um, but leaving my corporate life, I I knew that I was ready to be out and I, I didn't want to tie commercially as my gig. Um, And I will say that, you know, listening to uh, Kelly Gallup talk about um, one thing or another, as he does, and then, you know, looking at guys like Tommy and and Blaine and and Chris Will and Matt Riley, who's um, regular on your show, um, you know, these... Kelly had said to to influence or or change or um impact the sport of fly fishing he he just he strongly believed that you you need to have guiding experience and i didn't really know what he was talking about but i i definitely i definitely see that now um you just you see so much more and it, so we'll, we'll get, we'll get back to the, to the question. Um, the the guiding bug fully bit me after I got here and I had fished these water, f- fell in love with them and got people onto my boat and watched them fall in love with them too. And they did it in the way that I guess I would say I did it. You know, I was giving them suggestions of, you know, a lot of streamer fishing and dry fly stuff and it's just not, not super easy. Um, but, but watching people come here and sometimes be in awe, especially if they've never been to this area, because it's, you forget you're in East Tennessee pretty darn quickly. Um, and as far as breaking into the guy game, I mean, this is, this is my third year and it, it, it's just feeling recently, you know, last couple of months, it's just feeling like, um, I'm, mean, you know, bills are paid. Um, you know, I, I can get groceries without worrying about, uh, having to pay my cell phone bill type deal. I, like it, it was, it was a, a grind. Um, and I, you know, I'm not out of the woods yet by any means. Um, but to say how did I break into the, the guy game is that might be giving me too much credit because I, I, I do, while I do feel more than incompetent in and and confident and um i have a lot of great clients and had a great year um i guess i'm just you know the, the comparison to being into the guy game like some of these other folks out there um i think i'm and proud to say you know just just getting started and and happy with where i'm at um, but, it, but it's, it's been, it's just time on the water.
0: Yeah. It's interesting too, though, right? Cause you're from Ohio and you're working in DC, you know, how did you decide to go to East Tennessee?
1: All right. We should have a word counter. Um, <laughs> where I, I the, the music starts, you can just start playing music, um, so i knew that i wanted to i wasn't going to retire in dc i wasn't going to retire in in the corporate setting um i i was in a position at the company i worked in to sort of see a layoff or two and saw another one coming um and so had had some time to to plan with some folks at my job and um, plan with my um, ex-wife about what we're, we're doing. We had just had a kid and a lot of it was kind of pin-seeking um, Cincinnati being home. That's where my family is and so being a little closer to them and and otherwise you know from dc to let's say nashville which is where i went to college sort of just looking in that arc and seeing picking out blue dots and to, to be honest with you and then really zooming in on google maps and saying what is that and then looking at what it was and I had sort of locked in on the not locked in really but it, you know a lot of my interest was focused towards the um the Hiawassee the Okoe, some you know some of these river very very close to me um and you know I ended up Getting to Johnson City, you know, seven minutes from the Wataga, 15, 20 from the South Holston. Um, but that that was, you know, we started tweaking things with school districts and, you know, cost of living, rent availability, all that stuff. Um, and so living in, in Johnson City proper was a good good mix of things and um not not fully out it's definitely not a big city but uh, not fully out in the country uh, moving from dc
0: yeah i mean and the really fortunate thing and i mean you know people when they think about east tennessee they think about the watauga and the south holston but you know you've got a really diverse fishery and i was wondering if you could give our listeners kind of an overview kind of of the species that you pursue and kind of what that the arc of your guide season looks like.
1: Yeah. Um, I I think a lot of people, I've had a number of folks on my boat who have been here more than once and didn't know the Watauga was here. So, you know, first, first and foremost, that's, it's not just the South Holston down here. The Watauga has some incredible fishing, um, for stripers and for, for brown trout and good, good hatch stuff too. Those both go into the, the South Holson and Watauga both going to Boone Lake. And so we'll go with the species first and then I'll try to get to the, the arc of the guide season. Um, you, you see me trying to keep myself on track there. I do. Um, the, with, South holston and the Wataga emptying into Boone that's really happy, healthy cold water going into a lake um, the, at the mouths of those are lake run fish stripers browns rainbows um, and then carp, which are just you know if if, if you like sight fishing I you know that carp have really picked up and priced inside since I was just getting into this whole deal um last 10 years um fishing for for carp is it's the closest thing you can get to saltwater fishing you know flats fishing it's it's a lot of fun and there are some fish there that will create create some problems for you um if if you hook into them and i think it's sort of moving down from there in the the water system you you know boone lake um, two dams down you're you're into the holston proper and there's awesome smallmouth fishing there and i think the best way to describe some of these different pieces of water that that the smallmouth are in, and the ones we fish, some of them are just not accessible by jet um, or bigger boats. You know, you're you're on a river. It's some of the little channels are, are relatively small, but you're fishing. You know, tailwater smallmouth is, is the best way for me to describe them. So, um, again, consistent temperatures and clean water and happy vegetation and it's just it's it's a recipe to stack the cards in or stack the deck in your favor um for getting some big fish so kind of sticking with smallmouth um, the the nolichucky which the lower middle nolichucky is it's like 25 minutes from my front door um Upper South Holston being about twenty-five, and um, French Broad, which is, you know, the it has headwaters two, two hours fifteen minutes away, and then you know some great smallmouth sections um, starting at about an hour away, but the kind of the sweet spots around an hour and a half. Um. And I'll use that to segue into muskie, which are endemic to a lot of the river systems near me. But um, the French Broad in particular has a good population density. And they're, you know, unlike the new, the James, the upper Midwest fisheries, all that. Most of the fish, if not all, are, you know, they're stocked as fingerlings, but they they aren't stream Um, they've been, there's some that have been in there for a while, and, you know, number of reports coming out of both the French Broad and the, even as low as, um, the Nolichucky below where I am of, of 50s. Um, so for the, for arc of the season, um, I think we'll just start with now, which is kind of a cool time. Things are, things are changing and it's always fun to see cause the summer, I love, I love fishing in the summer, long days, um, a lot of daylight. Um, the ability to fish late, get up early, whatever you want to do, but we're getting into the time of year where, uh, you know, the hatches, the big mayfly hatches are sort of dwindling and, um, the, the tailwater game for me, you know, what, the way I like to approach this time of year is... And, and I should say every time I'm talking about any of this, there, there's a, a four or five weight with with dry flies rigged at all times. And no one's getting a free pass on attempting to to cast risers, even if they don't want to. It's just too fun. So there are they are feeding a lot. the 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 pressure is just fully off of these two systems. You know, summer vacation's over, and a lot of these. Guides that you know are, are here every day over the summer are just not here anymore. Um, so it's 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 fun to see the you know have the river to myself or to yourself, depending on if you're fishing with me or or not. Um, but but doing that, you know, approaching that water in the Afternoon streamer, evening dry fly slash streamer and having a a sandwich and getting our casting down um, into mousing is what I, you know, that would be my recommendation for the next month and i, I love doing that all summer, but but now is I'm not gonna say especially good um, but w- but with the bug activity dropping down, um the night's getting longer, there's just you know, the, the opportunity to be out and and fish in and real darkness for. For longer than a couple hours is is here, and it is just getting longer. Um, starting in say november things late October, maybe um, both rivers have their days, as all waters do. Things start to get a little weird with you know the the brown trout spawning. And I'm cool with that because at that point, water temps are getting to the point where presentations with a fly and fly rod to muskie are, um, you know, I have a better chance. And, you know, I'm fishing them with, with gear as well. Um, but I, you know, my, my guiding for them is at this point somewhat. Restricted to my previous clients, I'm just, you know, for streamer clients for trout, I'm I'm not throwing my hat in that ring yet. Um, But the the ability to target them and and just sort of change things up um, from the the local tailwater fisheries is, you know, it's present right now. I was up on the upper French Broad last week, and it, it, you know it's seventy, and it was a hot day. By the end of the day, it was seventy-three degrees. So, from a, a warm water concern perspective, it you know it's there. There isn't one. Um, you know th- that said, the colder temps can provide for some more. Um, Predictable, patternable, uh, less erratic, whatever you want to call it, you know, still musky fishing. Um, So, yeah, that's sort of shift in focus there already, but um, that's that's kind of looking forward to the the next year or two. Um, really, really picking that part up. And then a handful of trips that I do have on the books with folks. Um, January, February, uh, the, you know, the, the Browns that are all up at the top are going to start to head back down. And throughout January and February, because there are so many fish that have moved, other fish are now there and You know, you you can get these pods of pretty big lake run rainbows eating, you know, it's, it's winter, but it's a tailwater, you know, eating blue wings and they're, they're feeding on top and they're just, there's no pressure. Some of the lower parts, um, there's a lot of bugs. They're up from the lake. They haven't been fished with flies. So there can, there's a few weeks that um you'll find some of those pods and it's always pretty fun the browns start to move back down late january february and at, at that point in time the the lake boom, lake has been lowered by 30 feet so our river you know we'll use the watauga it, it's it's an extra three miles it's we have an extra three miles of river that goes down into the lake. So January, late January, February, you're you're fishing for these lake run fish after you know post spawn lake run browns that are sometimes eating. I affectionately say they're they're eating very stupidly. Um, they're they're just smashing flies and. And then their tail walking into the boat. You know, the, it's... They're lake run fish. Then I'm going to have people knocking on my door if I say steelhead. Um, but that's the type of their... You know, they're silver. The, you know, the browns are. Um, the rainbows just don't have any color on them. And they just... if They fight so hard. Um, March... March April you start getting some bugs those, those lake fish are still very much present in in the lower sections. Um, April is the big caddis hatch in on the Wataga. and when, when I say big caddis hatch, I mean like dropping into a riffle or around a bend and and spitting them out and having to tip the boat up and wash it out when you get home um it's for about two weeks and a little on the, on the front and back end of that, but it's, you know, that, that can be a lot of fun fishing in the off hours as I do normally just to avoid a lot of crowds. Uh, but, but fish are feeding 24 seven at that point. And that's, that leads into the stripers coming up, into the river systems when the lakes start warming up. Um, that, that coincides with the shad. And most of the time it's these you know, inch and a half tiny, you know, rain bait. That it sounds like if you were to throw sand or gravel onto, um, a body of water, that's what it sounds like when they're leaping from a fish, but those are all over the mouths of the river. And, you know, mid-May to June, uh, I'm kind of living down on that lower end. There are some great hatches, and then, you know, evening time, you start getting fish swirling on bait and busting them up against the, the bank and you know you can approach that with little streamers, big streamers um, gear just kind of anything goes at that swinging clousers is, is an awesome way to approach those fish too so you, even though we're down in the lake there's this is a section where there's still some good current um, and I think that takes us July August which we, we just finished up which was awesome um you know a lot of good trips and and good days and um handful of really nice fish in the boat um it it can this year's been a little different we ended up getting rain um a good deal, which is nice. So we had some good flows. It can be low water fishing, but, but again, that, that night game is always there. The last month or two has been a lot of streamer fishing on both rivers. And, you know, if the rivers are generating and we have any semblance of weather around us, um, it's a good time to be fishing. It doesn't matter if it's in the middle of a ninety degree day. That you know the the tailwater waters at fifty degrees, and um, those fish are eaten, And they're really not seeing that many streamers, especially in certain sections.
0: uh God, did it I do it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And you know, I, I also wanted to ask you too to kind of give our listeners an idea of what a day on the water is like with you and kind of how it's different from what other guides and outfitters offer in your area.
1: Sure. Um, and I mean, you and I spoke spoken about this a little bit a couple months ago. Um, I, I think there is a, there's a market and a place for the typical trout trips, I guess i will call them. Um, so I don't want to take anything away from that because it's its there. I don't think it's, I just, you know, that's, that's not necessarily my thing. Um, there are some great, great guides and people who are very good at their jobs doing that. Um, I don't want to make nymphing a four-letter word, but when you're on a drift boat, and you're nymphing you're really not doing much and i have found time and time again that once once you put a rod in someone's hand that they're casting and that's dry flies streamers and gear once you do once you give them that option even if they're – especially if they're not good at it, where they're learning and improving and experiencing something new, they don't want to go back. They don't want to sit there and, and watch and hope. Um, now, that said, I will – you know, throughout the day, there are some places that you know, I always like to tell people to put their blinders on, you know, both forget about what we've done, what we're going to do. And the rest of this giant river, and just look at these couple pieces of water—these these runs, riffle pools, kind of in the middle of bigger run riffle pools—and so I'll anchor up and and kind of transport us into, as I like to think of it, the small creek type fishing, and um, you know, great way to approach fishing and trout, and particularly for new anglers and those who have smaller water trout streams around them, that anchor and you know, water load, getting your men's, changing weights, you know, all that type of thing, that's small creek fishing. That's what you have to do while waiting. And so the I I will I will do that. I think that might be a um asterisk or some sort of caution. Um, but otherwise, it is, depending on flows, probably a lot of streamer fishing if we have water, and if, if that is something an angler is interested in. And again, speaking candidly to you and whoever's listening to this, there are so many people who love streamer fishing. And so whenever I say something like, you know, if the angler is interested in streamer fishing, and they are normally. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll basically streamer fish until, you know, some of those nymphy runs and I'm not going to press us to stop too much on those. We will stop for risers and there are a handful of places that I like to stop even if we're not seeing them and just, you know, chill for 15 or 20 minutes and, and, and see what's developing um and you know the got the gear spin rods are always tucked up under um I retrofitted my my hide aluminum boat to to hold two gear rods and four fly rods on each side so you know we we kind of have an arsenal that we can approach any section of either of the tailwaters with. And, you know, I, I, guess the one, the one difference with me is, and again, not, not, not to say this is the right, or a, I guess a good difference, but I don't catch a lot of fish. I don't want to. I think it takes away from how much fun fishing is. And in order to do that, you are, you're likely just nymphing the whole day. And, and I get, again, I get that, that there's a market for it. It's Perfecting that game is not easy. Um, but my, my approach is, To fishing and we'll just say streamer fishing and use that as an example if you're boating 15 fish in a day fishing streamers that's that's a really good day because you're probably losing 10 plus and you're probably getting another 30 follows on that 15 boated fish day um you know, throughout this process is, if you can imagine, I'm talking a little bit during the day. Throughout this process is a lot of education, and, and it's kind of whichever direction they want to go. Um, but casting is a big thing for me, and and getting whoever is on the boat, super experienced. Everything's awesome. I I just see one or two things that might be able to get tweaked. Um, I I like to work on casting a lot. It's such an important part of fly fishing because it's a requirement. And to make casting easier and more fun, you make the whole day more fun. And you, you make the prospect of going out and fishing again, it's fun without the concept or, or the, the notion of I'm going to go catch fish because once you're casting and you're working on your casting and you're trying different techniques and all that stuff, it, it becomes more about, and again, loaded with cliches here, but it becomes more about going out and fishing and you know and working on your skill, your hobby, whatever you want to call it, as opposed to I'm going to go out and catch fish. Um, so I, I do like to, you know, if it's possible, expose an angler to as much as I can. And that, that can sometimes mean going a, a touch over the seven and three quarters bumper to bumper day. But, um, I, I I do like to to show them everything, not not just that I have to offer in my knowledge of this place, but um, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways, kind of let them loose on on these waters because they're you know they're beautiful. They're also pretty wild, and depending on the day, feel a little Jurassic Parky.
0: There you go. Well, you know, Ellis, before I let you go this evening, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners?
1: Um, I would just say if you are, if you're interested in, in streamer fishing, you know, absolutely contact me if if you're interested in streamer fishing, not even with, with me. It, It was For a long time for me, it it was this big, it was such a different thing. And it doesn't have to be. And, you know, all types of fishing can be whatever you make it. So, um, you know, obviously, um, if you're interested in trips, give me a shout. But if you just want to connect and talk about, rods lines fly design you know whatever it is i have this all over my website never hesitate to reach out um if i don't pick up i'm going to call you back
0: yeah very cool and so just to kind of help folks you know if they want to ask you a question book a trip buy some flies maybe get hooked up with some bucktails and kind of generally follow your fishing adventures where should they go
1: yeah um, my website is Ellis Ward Flies, F-L-I-E-S, EllisWardFlies.com. And Instagram is the same deal, at Ellis Ward Flies. And, um, you know, both of both of those and Google my business have my number everywhere, but, you know, trip booking and all that. Call text, whatever uh 513-543-0019 and you know i've started to go on yelp and a few other places but the website and instagram are the best places to to get in touch with me
0: yeah and i'll drop all that stuff in the show notes and you know ellis i really appreciate you taking some time out to chat with me this evening
1: Marv, thank you so much. I I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, thanks for not turning on the the walk-off music too loudly.
0: (laughs) There you go. Well, listen, I hope you have a great evening.
1: All right, you too. Appreciate it.
0: Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, if you like the podcast, please tell a friend, and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. Tight lines, everybody.